I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Welcome to Chosen Family. I'm Thomas LeBlanc. And I'm Trana Winter. Today on the show, we have Guy Branham. Ugh, brilliant stand-up comic. He also wrote on shows like Chelsea Lately, Fashion Police with Joan Rivers. He's amazing. How do I start with Guy? He's kind of a mentor. I would say even like the gay uncle of the stand-up scene. I mean, he would hate you for saying that. But I think he does embrace the idea of being a mentor. And as we move forward in our own careers in comedy, it's really nice to have this kind of ally that we can reach out to for advice when we need to. And he wrote this phenomenal book, My Life as a Goddess. It's a hilarious collection of essays about being a gay entertainer in Hollywood. It's profound, it's funny, and there's also a chapter on Canadian politics. Which is so (laughs) (laughs) un-American. It's rare. I think it's kind of, you can mistake Guy for a Canadian. I I mean, we have American listeners, and don't get too offended, but sometimes I I felt that Guy was a little too sophisticated to be American. But I wouldn't say that necessarily sophisticated and Canadian go in the same sentence either. You're right. I agree <laughs> you with know? that. Like, we're just unsophisticated in different ways. <laughs> <laughs> so there's this like great history of Canadians moving to the States to make it in comedy and entertainment. And I find it so funny how, like, what stays Canadian in them moving forward and what also how they become more American. Right. Well, I was re-listening to to Alanis Morissette's Super Soul conversation on Oprah's (laughs) podcast. (laughs) And it's so funny because you can tell that Alanis is Canadian. How? And I, I don't really know how to answer the how. There's a tone, there's a rhythm in the way of speaking that is so different from Oprah. So have you always been a seeker? Um, I've always been hungry and I've always wanted to go to the lowest common denominator. So I hate my own lying. So I like getting to the bottom where there's no lie left. Wow, I love that. Yeah. Getting to the bottom where there was no lie left. I don't know if it's a friendliness or a kind of warmth and a kind of dorkiness, too, that is so uniquely Canadian. And in her case, Alanis's case, specifically Ottawa, you know, like. (laughs) Why would Ottawa be more dorky? Well, I don't know. It's the nation's capital. It's super clean, you know. One thing I admire about American comics and and American entertainers is how on they are they're selling themselves all the time and as an insecure quebecois performer i'm like it's not that easy for me to always be on and always be performing and that's something i i guess i i admire it i envy it but also sometimes i'm i'm happy i'm not like that right it can be really exhausting and i agree with you i think that there is a ruthlessness and a sort of blind ambition Um, in Americans who want to make it in show business. And it just sort of becomes all-consuming for them. And it's intense. And I don't think Canadians inherently share that intensity, you know? I think 
I can say that I'm ambitious, but it's definitely not in the same way that they are because I still also want to have a life outside of what I do. Do you feel it's fair to sort of group all Americans together in the sense that like we're Canadians, but also we're Montrealers and my sense of who the Americans are is really rooted in who like New Yorkers are and people from L.A. And these are really tough cities. Right. That's a good point. Each state is so different, and there's so many states. Their population is enormous. You know, in Canada, what, we're, like, up to 35 million people now, maybe? Maybe. Like, and we're scattered across this enormous space. You know, also, each province is pretty different. Quebec is very different from the rest of Canada, or at least we like to think we are. It's very interesting because as a Francophone, as a Quebecois growing up, like we in the 90s, a lot of Quebecois started to have careers in the States. Of course, Celine, but also just like the Cirque du Soleil as as an institution. This is not my style. It's not my aesthetic necessarily, but it was a big deal. It was a big deal for us to see. Quebecois entrepreneurs like just making deals, making moves, yeah. putting on these shows. Even Mitsu had a couple of club hits <laughs> in the U.S. on if you dance don't know who radio. Mitsu, if you don't know who Mitsu is, look her up. She's she's an icon. Um, but I I don't like. Sometimes I feel like you're so ready to abandon this place. Like sometimes I feel like your idea of success is defined by your work being recognized by Americans. That's so interesting. I think you're right. I think it's also Quebec. Quebec is as big as Sweden. You know, like it's it's big, but it's not very big. And the cultural mark we have on the world is is quite impressive for like such a small yes. nation. And I'm really proud of that. But also like Swedes, like I want to travel the world. I want to work some other places. I want to connect with other people. Um, I was raised in Montreal. Montreal, you guys, if you've never been to Montreal, you have to come. It's like... No, actually stay away. (laughs) Because we've been... Over the last few years, I've been guilty of this, telling people, come to Montreal. It's so amazing. The rent is so cheap. And now you've all fucking come here and driven the rent prices up. And now it's unlivable for real Montrealers. So you know what? No, stay the fuck where you are. It's 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 a lovely place. It's very comfortable. But yeah, I have this idea that, you know, I want to expand. There's this there's this side of me that's always been when I was a kid actually cuz I'm francophone but I'm very anglophile, but as a kid my understanding of that was to move to England. It was to I was telling my mom like, "Mom, I'm going to move to England just because I understood that like English was this language that would allow me to connect with different cultures and different people. Maybe now I don't want to live in like Boris Johnson's England. I don't know. Well, we don't want to live in Trump's (laughs) America either. So it's like, you know what? Let's just stay here. I'm just going to chill for a bit. I mean, for me, it's like I think like career wise, what's most important to me is just the idea of being able to make a living and and a decent one, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, And I feel like if I can make a decent one in Canada, I'd be happy with that because sometimes I think. We glorify what that extreme American fame looks like, Mm -hmm. but it's a horror story. I mean, I don't mean to bring up Alanis again, but like it like she was this ambitious Canadian who felt like things are too small here and was so driven. And then, you know, had that fame come to her in such an explosive way that it was traumatizing. Mm -hmm. Is it true that you didn't laugh for two years? No, I, I didn't. I just remember thinking the only way to survive this, you know, I would land at airports and people would be 
Super interesting and smart performers like Guy Brenham, who is accessible when you live in places like LA or New York, is is just very tempting to me. Yes, I do agree with that. And I think that, you know, because they have this extreme dedication to their craft and their work, they're amazing. You yeah. know, and like when you're when you share a stage with those people, it pushes you yeah. to rise to the occasion yeah. because you don't want to be the weakest link. Yeah. Audience, my name is Guy. Guy is barely a name. The only way my parents could have exerted less effort in naming me would be if they had called me Hey Dude. Or that one baby who lives here. Guy was actually here in Montreal this summer as part of Just for Laughs, which is, you know, known as the biggest comedy festival in the world. We're lucky that we have this festival here in the sense that we get all of these, you know, heroes of ours that come into town and we get to meet them. We actually got to be on the same show as Guy, the three of us at Queer Comics. That was so much fun. It was amazing. That's the first time I met him. Super sweet, super funny. And he really has a lot to say about the current cultural climate. Um, I remember after the Louis C.K. thing happened, he wrote a pretty hot take focusing on toxic male culture in stand-up comedy. I'm just so happy that we got this really great chance to talk to him. We were outside, so we were in this tent on the festival grounds. It was a tent sponsored by Spotify with Just for Laughs. A lot of people thought we were Spotify customer service. <laughs> that was hilarious. Because we're sitting in this green this older This older gentleman came to me asking me for advice on, on logging into Spotify in the U.S. So it was an experience. <laughs> we had bleachers right outside of the tent. So like a kind of mini sports event, really. A sporting event for the queers. It's a tailgate. Um, but we actually had like a really lovely group of people that showed up. And we just got to be outside and talk to Guy at this amazing festival on this amazing Montreal night. Guy Brenham. The one and only. The one and only. Hello, good to be here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Guy, welcome to Chosen Family. We met on Wednesday night at, the, yes. at a show called Queer Comics. Yes. And I told you, you were an OG and you didn't like that. No, let's not emphasize my age, okay? <laughs> I live in Los Angeles. I'm trying to have a career. <laughs> It's it's essentially saying, well, you're done. You've done what you're going to do, Guy Branham. No, no, um, no, 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 no. What that means is you're a legend in the making. And okay, what we, what legend we are, I can agree with. What, okay, we're, what we're witnessing Great. is how a legacy is being yes. made. That Built is and maintained what I made exactly. anger and sweat. Anger and sweat. <laughs> um, you love Canada. I do love Canada. You have a few pages in your book, My Life as a Goddess. I have a goddamn chapter in my book about your fine nation, okay? And none of you faggots have purchased it, have you? <laughs> no, you have no respect. It's hilarious because you compare the U.S. to your sister, Lori, yes. who has no sense of boundary. No. Lori. I love it. How is Lori similar to the U.S. and you, I guess, are Canada? I'm not saying that I'm Canada, okay? I don't have a good sense of boundaries <laughs> either, but like, um, my sister has never been diagnosed, but 
but it, is it possible that she has a personality disorder? Who can say? Um, but she's always making drama and getting involved in other people's situations and making them about her, like the United States does. And Canada <laughs> has ruined many lives. Let's not pretend that it hasn't. Uh, but there is a deferential and sweet way you guys are always trying to be nice about the way that you have destroyed other people's lives <laughs> and colonized half of a continent. So I because you're you guys are always being like you guys ex like America is over here being big and loud and Britain is being uppity and full of themselves and you're always like where is there space for us and there isn't. We're, we're, we're like. <laughs> We're like a second But there's shot. space for us in your book. Yeah. Yes, there's one chapter. <laughs> On uh, Wednesday at the, at the Gay Comic Show, I was very impressed that you brought up Jagmeet Singh and Joey yes. Race and Bold. Uh, you being American and talking about these people in Canadian politics, the that felt is, so seen. But the thing is, is like, all we know about Canada is your hot prime minister, and we want to imagine that he is like a liberal dream, and oh, why can't we have him? And then when Jody Wilson-Raybould like started the whole uh, SNC-Lavalin thing, I watched her testimony before uh, the Judiciary Committee. What? It's like, that's fucking democracy right there. His legacy ass, his fucking snowboarding abs are going down. And then you guys were like, nope. Uh, I mean, what, Andrew Shear? I don't think so. Um, and what my message okay. to Canada on this trip is that Jagmeet Singh is hot, okay? <laughs> you guys can have a hot prime minister and do it ethically. <laughs> Um, how did you learn about Canada? So you obviously know so much. How did you learn? Yeah, where did the interest it, come from? It's not It's not that much. It was just uh, in uh, my encyclopedia when I was little, I found an entry for a state that I had never heard of before, and I started reading all about Manitoba. <laughs> and uh, then it, it was just like... Picking up the highlights of Canadian history is not that difficult. Right. I mean, it's basically just some language fights and Louis Riel, and, <laughs> uh, and that's it. But like the sto the story of Robert Baldwin yeah. and, and Louis Hippolyte Lafontaine is like the most beautiful political story I've ever heard. It's Trenton. It's our friendship. She's Anglo. <laughs> I'm Franco. That's our friendship. And it's like putting your own needs aside for a moment to say, "Hey, dude, you get to be the center of attention right now." And I think as queer people, we all are uh, needy diva bitches at times and we all have to understand like this is your moment to hold attention and then if you take it too long I will slap you and push you out of the way. Moral of the story, Canada's a chosen family. There we go. Yes, there we absolutely. Go. Um, but in addition to your interest in history, a big part of what you write about is television and your relationship especially to the sitcom. Yes. Kids between like 8 and 13 watch sitcoms too much because they're just trying to learn how the world works. And it's just like a bunch of watching adults do things and you in your head are sort of taking notes. You don't think what's going on is funny. You're just like, wait, what does that mean? You talk in the book about Bewitched and what that meant. Because it, it's, it was older. You okay, were already okay. in the... You start out by calling me an OG. <laughs> and I you knew this is where this going to go. Millennial little gay boys talk about TV from the 60s. Fuck you. <laughs> Okay, okay, I'll take do it. Do you want me to just take a do you want me to take a Sharpie to my crow's feet next? <laughs> no, Thomas, I'm sorry. What were you saying? Um, so you were watching Bewitched. It's just like it's just one show that sort of People were watching Bewitched in the 90s. I know. Yeah, that's that's Bewitched what I mean. is a super queer show about uh, a sophisticated lady who is simply yeah. too much for the space that she's in, lives in heterosexuality but not of heterosexuality. So that shows that like culture stays with you. It can mean something to you even though you weren't born or it came before you. It's very true. I mean, yeah. that's what like the, it's the wonderful thing about being queer is like we do 
not reproduce like biologically. And I hate people who uh, are like some do. Uh, okay, <laughs> that's not the. I don't want to talk about that. Like everybody wants to be. Well, you guys can have kids. Sure, neat. Our primary value is not our ability to be analogous to heterosexual yeah. people. I we recreate culturally. We give to culture, and children find it on their own. I don't need to. I have better things to offer this world than my DNA. Oh my god. Same. 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 Men to that. Your education like, so it was made by television, but also reading the dictionary and encyclopedias. And I relate to that because as a kid, I mean, Trina, you're more of a TV kid. Yeah. I was a dictionary <laughs> kid. I was just trying to figure out how the world worked, and I was trying to learn as much as I could because the place where I was from seemed like deeply unimportant. How would you describe that place? Northern California, but rural where almonds and peaches are? Peaches, yes. Yeah. We produce more peaches in my town than the entire state of Georgia. Shut up, Georgia, <laughs> about how you're the peach state. <laughs> and some fucker tried to talk to me about southern Ontario peaches the other day, and I don't need to play games about your little ice peaches. Um, it's just, it's a godforsaken farm town, like two and a half hours north of San Francisco, but not the cool Northern California that makes wine, a shitty sad part that is full of trashy people. And the thing is, is when you're close enough to a big city that anyone with anything interesting going on just like goes two and a half hours south, there's nothing left. It is a cultural wasteland. It is just chewing tobacco and trucks and mixed martial arts. So how did you get out of there? Uh, I read as many encyclopedia articles as I could. I did well on standardized tests, and I got into a decent <laughs> state school. Was it my first choice? No. Was it good enough? <laughs> yes. And then you went to Berkeley. I went to Berkeley. And then to law school. And then I went to law school. And then stand-up comedy in San Francisco. Yes. In the early aughts. Yes. I went to law school and realized that that was a horrible life. And so I, uh, I came out of the closet and then went and searched for um, some happiness, and I searched in stand-up comedy, and that is not a place for happiness. No, no it's not. not. It's really not. No, but, but have you found happiness in it? Of course I have. I'm very successful now. <laughs> and also, it's fun to have people laugh at your jokes. The art of stand-up comedy is going through enough bad sets that you stop fearing the bad sets and can just embrace the nice things. You Did you feel at some point you had to let go? Well, obviously you moved away from the town where you were raised, but did you feel you had to let go of your, your class, your background, your family, your upbringing? Bringing. Well, it's weird because sometimes like other people in comedy will be like surprised that my dad's a construction worker, my mom's a cafeteria lady, uh, and they think because uh, I care about sentence structure that I am highfalutin or, or something like that. And I just felt like there was no place for me in the place where I came from. Like I just felt like it didn't like me. Um, you know, it's like my my local town paper, anytime there's a dude who like plays minor league baseball or MMA or something like that, it's very excited. Right. And they've never really cared about my career. Actually, recently, uh, a, a nice girl like wrote a thing about me, and, and that felt nice. But, you know, it, it is just like there's not really a place for queer people in my town. Right. Um, and... I'm not doing the hard work of making one. I'm doing the much easier work of just moving of to West Hollywood. West Hollywood. <laughs> uh, and it's, you know, it's, it's hard because that is who I am. Like, it, it's, it was kind of cool being here um, because all of the camera dudes here in Montreal are uh, these, like, yoked francophone dudes with, like, rough... They're hot, eh? I, I mean... Every time I f these hands that just feel like they could build a house, you know, they're like rough and calloused. Every time they shook my hand, I just dreamt that they would toss me over their shoulder and carry me off to their cabana sook. Just to, 
tap me. Okay, we the most famous cabana stick in Quebec is called Au Pied de Cochon. Please say Au Pied de Cochon. Au Pied de Cochon. Mm, that's kind of hot. <laughs> so how was the scene in San Francisco when you were there? It was a beautiful and dazzling scene full of <laughs> um, bright lights, like Ali Wong, Moshe Kasher, who yes. else became famous? Those are probably the good ones. Um, but no, it was like a really good, like back then San Francisco was like an artsy place where you could live and be an artist, and now it is a place where no one can live unless they are making um, tech billionaire money. Yeah. Um, but it was really cool, and it was also like the only place in the United States where you had like a real queer comedy scene that I could be part of. Like I thought that there was that in every city and I didn't realize it was just like us and then New York. But in New York, if you want to tell jokes, you also have to sing jazz standards. Think of your favorite one-hit wonder. Or that overpriced toy your parents would never let you have. Or that TV show that no one else remembers because it was canceled way too soon. Now what if we could fix it? I'm Francesca Ramsey. And I'm DeLon Grant. And after 20 years of friendship, we are now hosting a new nostalgia podcast called Let Me Fix It. Each episode, we'll dig into our favorite celebrities, shows, and brands of yesteryear, and then imagine what it would take to repackage them for relevance today. Think of our show as an intervention, but with way less stakes. So subscribe to Let Me Fix It wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Nice! What I didn't like is that she's carrying... A book. You know what I mean? You know what that says? It says this movie sucks. I'm You're so, so bad. You realize that? I got punked. You've had so many jobs, like writing jobs. Oh my God, guy, you've been alive for such a long time. <laughs> it is shocking to me, Thomas Leclerc. It's LeBlanc. Le 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 fine. I'm sorry. It's fine. I'm just trying hard not to pronounce the letters at the ends of things. <laughs> Um, you've written for Ashton Kutcher Punked. It was the most horrible time of I'm my career. Oh, really? Okay. What's the darkest time in your <laughs> life? Because I had to write, uh, I, had, I had quit Chelsea lately and she had done her best to burn down my career and I was trying to rise up from the ashes. So I took a job on Punked and it was just me and a bunch of terrible straight guys deciding what things we should put in celebrities' gas tanks. Yeah. And you're like, at least they were celebrities. But you guys, it was 2012, so the only celebrities we had were the people who were in Twilight who were not the main people in Twilight. <laughs> so you wrote for Billy Eichner, uh, W. Kemau Bell, and you wrote for Joan Rivers. Yes, I wrote for Joan Rivers. I kept the best one for last, I think. Okay. I've heard mixed things about working with her. I mean, look. Okay, Eliza Skinner, a great stand-up comedian, has a great line about Joan Rivers. She said... She's a bag of knives. Are you surprised she's cutting you now? Um, like, she was just a person who was so defined by her struggle that she was angry and bad to people around her. Like, when, they, when we tried to unionize on, um, on police. fashion police, she did everything possible to try to shut that down because she thought she needed a table of 12 underpaid writers instead of four or five writers with, like, a decent income and insurance. Right. And it was really sad that she couldn't see that, but it was, you know, for me, she was such an icon. How I Met Joan was I got hired for this job and I got told to go to a location and I walked in and it was Joan's house. She was wearing a house dress <laughs> and it was just me, her, drag queen Jackie Beats, um, her daughter, and we were watching the Golden Globes and it was <laughs> insane. But this, the process is that you would sort of start riffing and then she would riff with you. Yes. No, it was That's amazing. It was the most pressure. It was so exciting. It was amazing to be around an icon and also just somebody who was 79 and still using all of their brain in a way that was really impressive. But also, yeah, her, her mind 
was stuck in the past. And <laughs> it was a little sad. There were there moments that you took stuff from her personally? Like, that knife was really sharp? Uh, like, I understood that she didn't know my name. She knew where I sat. She knew I was that one. I knew that when I was outside of the room, she would probably have just said the really fat one. Like, there right. were, you know, there were things like that. But there was also, like, wonderful things to see as a comedian, like... When we made a cultural reference that she didn't understand, like I've had bosses who, when that happened, they're like, I don't know what that is, next joke. Joan would like wait until an opportune moment and then ask the head writer, what is kombucha? <laughs> and like, um, and I, that desire to maintain relevance, yeah. I mean, I admire that. Um, you've talked about being gay men in comedy. and Have I? You you have, and you've written... It's come up. Yeah, it's, it's come, come up, up a few times. Um, and you've used the metaphor of the table at the uh -huh. comedy club, like this, this sort of straight stand-up comedians hanging out at the table and, and deciding who is allowed to sit with them at the table. I feel the reality of that table has changed a lot in yeah. the last two years since you actually... Yeah, I think your piece had a lot to do with yeah. it. I still remember reading that when when it was published and I that piece coming out felt like a game changer. Just well, after Louis C.K. I mean, it's, it's very hard because I feel like at this festival we are still in this situation that so many people who are institutions, you like... They're who did the comedy that made you love comedy, and so you want their approval, but they sort of maybe don't have the capacity to see you as a colleague in the way that they do like some younger straight guy in a hoodie. And <laughs> it's hard because I think breaking yourself from seeking their approval and wanting to do stuff, and, and, and just seeking their approval is really hard. But I do think what's changed over the past two or three years is w women and people of color and queer people making comedy that's cool and the industry understands it's like alive. Like, and you know, you, you have all of these like dude comics who are just trying to create the best like insult for their buddy or their girlfriends yes. i'm so tired of that and they've just been doing it forever and when audiences see something that is fresh and interesting and new they're going to be excited for it um and so it's been neat for me to watch like a new generation of comics emerge who are who are doing stuff that you know uh, wasn't allowed before. Yeah. I started four years ago. Even in those four years, Trana was actually I saw her perform before we worked together. She was one oh, of it's the lovely. Yeah, it's really cute. And uh, I, do you think? Well, do you think they, to this day these guys? Do you think they see us as? peers as, or equals? I think that they see us as an adjective first. I right, think right. that it is very hard for them to wrap their head around the notion that a trans woman is a human being, right. let alone a colleague. And I think when they see us, they see gay, and they think that we got into this festival because we are gay, and they needed to, in some way, nod to diversity. When they see us on stage, it's different. There, there are always those beautiful moments when they do see you, particularly when they get up and do okay. And, and then you get up and do better. Yes. Um, and it's beautiful, and I, I do think there's a little bit of that Joan of them wanting to speak a language that they don't understand. Some of them. Some of them. Some of them. There was a dude who a couple of days ago at this festival, I, I made a joke and he said something along the lines of when did you get funny? And it was a lot like bitch, where have you been? Well, and it's like, because in that moment I had bested him, he had to behave as though it was like a big change from the past. The, the same exact thing same, same thing, happened. thing no. happened to me like a few weeks before this festival when like my show started to get announced and everything, and the exact same thing. And I was on the show with a bunch of guys that I hadn't been on a show with in a long time, and it was that same sort of backhanded compliment. Like, you've gotten so good now. Yeah. And I'm like, 
I was better than you from day one. But you want to know what's an, an interesting thing is that when I started, the industry believed that what it needed was a, a large supply of straight boys and hoodies. And so the people who were getting into festivals like this, the people who were succeeding, were those a bunch of those dudes. And the thing is, is that some of those dudes have survived and some of them have not. And they look at me very strangely as somebody who sh was struggling then because there wasn't a place for me in the yeah. industry and is now doing just fine. <laughs> um, and it's, it's a little bit hard, but I think that they felt entitled. They were yes. next. They feel like we are cutting the line and they don't understand we weren't allowed in the line before. Exactly. And I also feel like this is also a moment that is calling them to evolve. It's not even about being exclusionary. Yeah. It's just about evolving. And like Joan, it's like, you know, if you don't stay current, if you don't embrace what is yeah. happening in the moment, you will be left in the dust. Well, think about the sheer number of like iconic dudes of comedy whose material is now just railing sensitive at, people at the world that exists, as opposed to just like look at someone like Sarah Silverman, who in the past has made jokes that weren't the best or the most sensitive, and said like, "Oh yeah, I made a mistake. I'm evolving. Yeah, like, I, that I want to do better things now." And it's like I'm not, as Thomas is so frequently mentioned. <laughs> I'm not young. I'm not always going to be young. I'd like to at least be somebody who has the capacity for growth. Yeah, people really respond to that. Sarah Silverman is such a great example of that. And she's someone now that I like feel so excited about, you know, yeah. whereas I didn't at the beginning. I mean, I, I love Sarah Silverman and I love her so much, but like, like, I'm not an African-American who had to watch her do blackface yeah. on her show, yeah. you know? And, like, that's just reality. We know that that's in the past. Let's deal with the past. I mean, the thing is, is, like, the world was a shitty place for a lot of people in 2005. The world is a shitty place for a lot of people now. And I hope the world gets better. And that requires us to change and not deny the people who we were, you know? Yeah. Of course, you have a really empowering message. Um, that's not my goal. <laughs> my goal is to make money and to ridicule my enemies. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Do you feel like you've made it? Like you, everyone, uh, it's such a cliche in our in, in anyone's industry, really. Well, I mean, the, the thing is, is I am at a point where I feel pretty confident that this time next year I will have a, a job and a decent job. I don't know what it is, but I am able to to trust that now. Where that wasn't true a couple of years ago. I had a talk show in the United States for two seasons on a cable show, and it was really getting to do all of the things that I like. I was getting to be on camera and talk to people and write jokes, and it was cool. And then it got canceled, and I was sad, but also it meant that I got to do other things. So, I, I mean, I don't think that I've made it. I don't have the glorious, glowing career that a lot of people have here, but... I will still be solidly here six years from now. Yes. You know, and being able to just say that, that like, I ain't going anywhere, bitches, and you need to understand I'm part of the terrain now, I like and enjoy, and I think they hear and acknowledge that, you know? I love that. And we love you. Thank you so Thank much. You much. Thank, you. Thank you so much, guy. Thank, Thank you. you. We'll see you soon. That was our conversation with Guy Brenham during the Just For Last Festival in Montreal. Chana, we recorded this at the end of July. It's already the end of August. I can't believe summer is over already. I could not be happier. <laughs> this is the moment that I wait for. I hate summer. I am so happy that we are starting to move towards fall. I mean, I, I I love summer, but we have to get one thing straight. I think the end of the year is not December 31st. I think it's actually 
August 31st, and that's September 1st is actually the new year. I have way more energy to make New Year's resolution in September, start new habits, start new classes. Yeah, so basically, Happy New Year, Trina. Happy New Year. <laughs> I mean, I feel that way, too. Like, in fashion, September is absolutely, like, the most important month. And one of my favorite lines in the September issue documentary is um, one of the people who works there at Vogue, I think her name is... Candace Price Pratt or whatever her name is. <laughs> if you've seen it, you know I'm talking about. And she has this very distinctive way of talking and she's just like, September is the January of fashion. <laughs> Basically. And it's just so good. I have major FOMO in September because there's so many classes that I could be taking. I have this idea, I think self-betterment for me is this idea that like, I could be someone else. I could transform myself i'm just picturing you with like the ymca community calendar going through the list of classes and being like who can i become (laughs) (laughs) that's basically it in the past i don't know if you know that about me but i've taken intro to portuguese intro to contemporary dance i think i've like tried multiple yoga studios starting in september and i'm sure you've never followed through on any of them i Like, did you finish Intro to Portuguese? I didn't. (laughs) I didn't. But just this morning, I was like, maybe I should go back to Intro Ballet. Because I did Intro (laughs) Ballet like four years ago. And then I was like, I'm 34 years old. That ballet dancer will never exist. I'm amazed by your effort. Just that you actually went is pretty impressive on some level. All the millionaire investors will tell you, invest in yourself. So (laughs) Intro Ballet is, or Intro Portuguese, is an investment in myself. What's usually the turn? point for you in these classes so like you go to the first one maybe you go to the second one but what shifts what makes you realize that like this is not going to work this is no longer worth going to um when it rains (laughs) (laughs) i think like a a rainy tuesday in november is really that moment where i'm like you know what it's too cold no ballet no ballet tonight just gonna netflix Wow. Doesn't take much to kill the dream. Oh, oh no. So we're saying hello to fall, but we're also saying goodbye to summer. So what, Thomas, are some of the things that you're going to miss about the summer? Well, this week specifically, um, it was just a bit after 5 p.m. I'm walking west on a street in my neighborhood, and the golden hour was perfect. It was perfect. It was amazing. And then I I, I run into two musicians, because a lot of musicians live in my neighborhood, who usually come to our shows, actually. And they're like, hey, how are you? And I'm just like, I, I don't smoke weed, but I looked so high. In that moment, I looked... <laughs> you were high from the golden just, hour light. Yes, of of August, you know, of that, like the dog days of summer, literally. like a, And I I know that it's, it's not going to be like this in a month. The days are shortening, and... Another thing is, like, I, I've i embraced wearing shorts. Like, I wasn't wearing shorts growing up. But, like, as an adult, I love wearing sports shorts and just be dorky and basic And in, in July and, I and August. I hate shorts. <laughs> <laughs> There's just something about shorts that is very undignified. What? I'm wearing shorts right now. Why do you hate shorts? It's too casual. I think summer style, if you can even call it that, is undignified in general Let's between the shorts like... <laughs> and the the flip-flops and the hideous sandals and the caps and the sweat. I mean, we were in Orlando together recently for podcast movement, and we made some really fun friends from other podcasts, Gay Future and Category Is and History is Gay. 
And then we tried to go out all together. You meticulously researched what's the coolest spot to go to in Orlando. <laughs> we get there. And... We, we get there and the bouncer looks at me. I'm wearing Adidas pants. And he's like, no. I'm sorry, you're you're not dressed properly. Like, no. you, you can't wear So we got year. turned away. And then you asked if there was another place close by that we could go to because we didn't know where the hell we were. And he suggested this place. We go there. We get in fine. It was a cute bar. It was, it was really, really cute. cute. And then our friends tried to come into the bar but they're come they're from Brooklyn so one of them is wearing like his t-shirt is a is a tie-dye with shorts but he looks super cool and they're all I know but this is the thing Orlando doesn't know what Brooklyn cool is (laughs) and Brooklyn cool is not cool in Orlando it's too casual so they're turned away if shorts are even problematic in Orlando I mean, I think that proves my point. Okay, Trina, we get it. You hate summer. <laughs> I'm being defensive. But what are some of the things you're excited about for the fall? Well, it's already happening right now, but the school supply sales. <laughs> There's something very inspiring about, like, the boxes of, like, 60 markers and, like, fresh pens and notepads. It makes me want to be more disciplined and focus. You look so hopeful right now. I, I do, never... but, it, but it's but it's a false hope because it doesn't ever translate into me being more disciplined and getting shit done. Just like it didn't when I started school. Like I remember those those first days of school being so like I'm gonna stay on top of yeah. everything. I'm gonna keep my notebook super neat and I'm gonna underline things. Never happens. And then like Never September fifth. Yeah, is there, it's, and over. Then it's over. And then I'm just like. trying to stay alive but i still love the freshness of that moment you love to layer i love to layer i'm so excited about being able to wear whatever i want to wear because that's the thing with fall like you can just put on a sweater and a light jacket or like a t-shirt and a heavier jacket there's options there are no options in summer so i'm so excited to you know be my best sartorial self finally And then one of my favorite things that I love to do in the fall is get some snacks, like maybe a pumpkin pie, and wear a cute sweater, but stay at home and watch season one of Felicity <laughs> with Carrie Russell. There's something so fall about Why that Felicity. Show? I don't know. Well, I mean, she's starting university. Right. You know, so it's it's related to that back to school fall moment. And not like Gilmore Girls or no, Dawson's but, Creek. But it's because Felicity has the most incredible right. sweater collection right. of any TV <laughs> character. Like her sweaters are just incredible. Just looking at her, you feel... cozy right so it's just it's just a feeling it's the feeling of felicity is the feeling of fall um and i just i love when there's just a crispness in the air like oh, i just love i just no. live for crispy air no i hate it because i know winter is coming which is what you hate you I, hate like september to i just hate May. it when it's i cold and wet i can i can deal with hot and wet it's summer <laughs> it's sexy it's fine uh but as soon as it gets cold and wet and damp i'm not i i don't like it i kind of want to find a way not to be in canada for the winter but i've, I've i haven't figured it out yet we need you here don't leave <laughs> just put on some sweaters As we get ready for the darkness to come, we're taking a short break. We'll be back on September 18th with new episodes. Chosen Family is produced by me, Thomas LeBlanc. And me, Trana Winter, with Crystal Duhame. 
Crystal also edits and mixes the show. The clips you heard were from the special Comedians of Chelsea Lately, Fashion Police with Joan Rivers, and Punked. You also heard an excerpt from Oprah's podcast, Super Soul Conversations, with Alanis Morissette. Check it out. A big thanks to Just for Laughs, Just Pour Rire, and their sponsor, Spotify. They allowed us to do that recording with Guy Brenham. There is also an interview with comedian Dave Mazzoni of Game Show. The full version of the Guy interview can be found on Spotify. Look for the link in our Facebook group. Chosen Family's music is by The Lost Boys. Judy Zigu is our digital producer. Tanya Springer is the senior producer of CBC Podcasts, and Arif Narani is the executive producer. Do not forget to join our fabulous Facebook group. Just search Chosen Family. It's one of the first things that comes up. Join the group. We'll be sharing lots of fun, exclusive things, and just we have fun conversations there. So come on in. Chosen Family is a CBC podcast originally developed in association with Phi Studio. Listen to Chosen Family wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back on September 18th with new episodes. Okay, we also have some exciting news. We are going to be part of Toronto's JFL 42 Comedy Con Madness. We're doing a live recording of Chosen Family September 21st at 1.30 p.m. at the Tiff Bell Lightbox. Let's be clear. This is not only for Toronto listeners. If you live anywhere driving distance from Hamilton, Toronto, Scarborough, Ottawa, Sudbury, Thunder Bay, Mississauga, South St. Marie, Come on down. <laughs> Rent a van with some friends. Rent a convertible. It will still be nice out. We want to meet you. Uh, please come and see us Saturday, September 21st. It's going to be really fun. At JFL 42. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.